Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. And we are glad that you have chosen to spend some of tonight's evening with us. I would like to um, uh, give a quick reminder that uh, Sunday morning in Brigham City, I've been asked to talk um, about 1045, I believe it starts. And I would just love to meet any of our viewers who live up in that area. If you'd like to come by uh, and chat, that's at Brigham City, 48 North Main, the Main Street Church in Brigham City. And we'd love to see you and talk with you there. Also, I would like to mention that the next three shows of August, we're going to be doing a special series on the priesthood. The Mormon Temple, as introduced by Joseph Smith, compared with the priesthood and the temple of the Bible. Next week is the priesthood show with our returning guest, Chris Honbaum. And the following week, August 23rd, we'll discuss Joseph Smith's early Mormon Temple, its rituals and reasonings and requirements, with our special guest, Sandra Tanner. And the following week, August 30th, Pastor Jim Catlin will be our guest as we discuss the Old Testament temple compared with the temple of Joseph Smith. So be sure and watch these next three shows. You'll learn a lot about a biblical priesthood and the biblical temple. And you know, I normally don't do what I'm going to do right now. But August 11th is a very special day for a very special lady. The lady's name is Dean Barnes, and she's celebrating her 91st birthday on the 11th. So I want to wish her a very special and happy 91st birthday. Reaching 91 years old is special, and what's even more special is that out of all this confusion and hodgepodge of Mormonism, Dean has reached, reached up and reached out of Mormonism and found eternal life. She didn't find it in Mormonism. She found it in Jesus Christ. So congratulations, Dean, and happy birthday. I get a lot of emails from time to time accusing us of not understanding biblical polygamy. They say that God didn't punish Abraham and Jacob and David and Solomon for practicing polygamy and that God's silence equals consent. We've discussed Abraham's and Jacob's and David's polygamy on this show in the past, but we really haven't taken a good look at Solomon's polygamy yet, and so I thought that tonight we'd do that. Solomon is the author of most of the book of Proverbs. He's the author of Ecclesiastes and the, the book, The Song of Solomon. Ironically, although Solomon is the Bible's most flagrant polygamous defender, all references to the marriage relationship in Proverbs, which he wrote, is monogamy, not polygamy. Solomon was Israel's third king. He was the son of King David. He was the second child of David and Bathsheba, and he inherited the throne and the kingdom from his father, King David. God had granted Solomon his request when he asked to be wise enough to govern God's people well. Solomon became the wisest man who ever lived. We read in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, 
that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. But in spite of Solomon's wisdom, he did some very stupid things. We're going to read about that now in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On the hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. You know, it was the custom in those times for treaties with foreign rulers to be sealed by marrying a member of the royal household. So uh, God had forbidden his people from taking husbands and wives from the peoples around them because of the false worship and of, of false gods and their heathen worship. Besides that, there were three other particulars that God had forbidden the king to do. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 16 and 17 tells us about that. He shall not uh, multiply horses to himself, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart not turn away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So the three forbidden things were going after great wealth, accumulating large number of horses, and multiplying wives unto himself. But as Solomon became more successful as king, he actually ended up violating all three of those prohibitions. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. His harem numbered at least a thousand women. Now polygamists attempt to justify polygamy by trying to make the Bible say something that it is not saying. One way they do that is to question what God meant when he commanded the king not to multiply wives unto himself. They ask, well, what exactly does God consider multiplying wives? Is it maybe taking three wives? Is that multiplying wives? Or maybe seven wives? Where's the limit? Maybe it's 25 wives before you multiplying wives. Or maybe it's 34 wives like Joseph Smith multiplied to himself. Or maybe it's not until you get to 56 wives like Brigham Young multiplied to, to himself. Or perhaps it's 80 wives like Warren Jeffs has multiplied to himself. Just how many wives actually constitute multiplying wives unto himself? Now this is the argument of pro-polygamists. 
they of course maintain that a decent number of plural wives is okay. And that this means that God, who is the one who should be multiplying wives to a man, that men are not supposed to multiply wives to themselves. Well, you know, playing around with the biblical text and ignoring what the entire Bible teaches about something is a very dangerous thing to be doing. God's initial mandate for marriage was one man and one woman. Without question, God instituted marriage and He instituted monogamy for marriage. So anything above and beyond one wife is multiplying wives unto themselves. Solomon did that, and he violated God's command in Deuteronomy 17, 17. God was not pleased with Solomon's polygamy, and many people claim that Solomon's polygamy was okay with God because they say God didn't lecture Solomon on his polygamy or condemn him or punish him. I'm not sure what kind of punishment that these critics think that God should have pronounced on Solomon, but they're wrong. God did lecture him and God did punish him and his children also suffered from Solomon's disobedience. Three verses later, in 1 Kings chapter 11, three verses later, this is what it says. Verse 14, Then the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary. Verse 23, And God raised up against Solomon another adversary. Verse 25, Rezon was Israel's adversary as long as Solomon lived. Solomon's kingdom was split, and after he died, there were many more consequences that resulted from Solomon's disobedience. Polygamy was one reason for the wickedness that resulted in God flooding the earth in the days of Noah, and polygamy was the reason that God split the nation of Israel into two separate kingdoms, ten kingdoms, ten tribes to the north, and two tribes to the south. Polygamy is unnatural. Polygamist women are withheld from the rightful pursuit by eligible men who are looking for a wife. With his 1,000 wives, Solomon cheated 999 men from having a wife. In polygamous societies, not only are many males deprived of their natural right to have a wife, but also the women are deprived of their God-given right to have their own husband. And we use this verse on the show all the time in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, where we know God's mind and heart on this, where he says each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Solomon was in gross disobedience to God in his polygamy. Polygamy drove him away from his relationship with God and into the worship of false gods. Now that is exactly what the polygamists of Joseph Smith's day did. And the polygamists of today are doing the same thing. They are serving false gods. A god who requires polygamy is a false god. A false god is a belief in a, in a god who isn't the god. Joseph Smith invented a God who doesn't exist, which resulted in himself and his followers to be idolaters, worshiping a God who isn't real. Now listen very carefully while I explain this. Despite what God has said about himself, the early Mormon polygamist and today's polygamists believe that they can become gods and that the practice of polygamy is required in order to become a god. 
Joseph Smith taught that God was once a man who learned to become a God and that his father was also once a man who learned to become a God and progress to be a God and, and this continued on backwards to eternity past. Brigham Young and all the subsequent Mormon and polygamous leaders have taught that man can become gods. Most of them taught that polygamy was the requirement in order to qualify for godhood. Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 20 says, Then shall they be gods, because they have all power and the angels are subject unto them. Verse 27 says, and he that abideth not this law can in no wise enter into my glory, but shall be damned, saith the Lord. Now this law referred to here in section 132 is the new and everlasting covenant of section 132, which is the doctrine of plural wives, also known as celestial marriage. Early Mormon leaders taught that to become a god you must be a polygamist and that God is a man who is a polygamist. You just read where it says, if you don't, you'll be damned. Now this isn't true. They believe and teach a non-existent God, a false God, which is what Solomon was guilty of doing. The one and only true God has revealed himself to us, and he says he is not a man or a son of man. No, uh, Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. It's very clear. God is not a man who learned how to become a God, and he wasn't born from a man who learned how to become a God. Yet that's exactly what Joseph Smith taught. And it's exactly what polygamists today believe, and there are many Mormons who also believe that. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 21, God actually mocks the people who believe that He is like us. We read Psalm 50, 21, These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. God says He will rebuke those who think that He is altogether like us because He isn't. Yet Mormon and polygamy doctrine insists that God is who they say He is rather than who God Himself says He is. And that is idolatry and is worship of a false god. And Solomon was guilty of worshiping false gods, idolatry and polygamy, exactly what God warns us against. God knows who He is and God knows who He isn't. And he has told us that he is not a man, yet Mormonism continues to insist that he is a man. And don't call in or send an email and say that he isn't a man now, but was once a man and has progressed uh, from manhood to become a god, because your doctrine also says that God doesn't change. And both can't be true. And for LDS folks who are dogmatic that Section 132 is not about polygamy but about eternal marriage, please take very close heed to the following information as I'm going to try to make it just as clear as possible so that you can grasp its eternal consequences. Abraham and David's and Solomon's experiences in polygamy is proof that, that Section 132 is all about polygamy. Section 132, verse 1. 
Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as you have inquired of my hand to know and understand wherein I the Lord justified my servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines. Behold, and lo, I am the Lord thy God, and will answer thee as touching this matter. Section 132 is about many wives and concubines. It says so right there. The context and purpose of this revelation is stated in verse 1, where Joseph Smith is inquiring about the many wives and concubines of Old Testament men, including Solomon. And verse 2 tells us that this revelation is the answer to Joseph Smith's question about polygamy. Now, early Mormons knew that section 132 was Smith's revelation on polygamy. And early Mormons called polygamy by various phrases, and the most popular phrase was celestial marriage. Your leaders can attempt to redefine it all they want, but that doesn't change historical fact. And it might fool you, but it doesn't fool God. Nor does it fool anyone who will think for himself. Now, the words in section 132, a wife is used to claim that it's about monogamy. But that, but that claim is not valid. The entire revelation from first verse to the last is polygamy. It's plural marriage. And, and they say that, that a wife in there changes it and doesn't mean that. But don't let that argument fool you either. First of all, uh, where it says a wife is a rhetorical statement, but more importantly, each time that Joseph Smith took a wife, he added to his harem, and he took a wife 34 times. And Brigham Young took a wife 56 times. And Heber C. Kimball took a wife 45 times, and, and so it goes. If section 132 is not about polygamy, but is only about temple marriage and, and eternal marriage, why did Emma, in a fit of anger, throw the revelation into the fireplace when Hiram first presented it to her? A mere eternal marriage revelation would not cause that kind of anger uh, in Emma. But a revelation on polygamy would certainly do that. The revelation was polygamy. That's what made Emma so angry, and that's why she torched it. We talked with a Mormon viewer one night on the show a few weeks ago, and he was adamant that section 132 was not about polygamy. We asked him what the ten virgins were all about, and he denied that section 132 talked about ten virgins, or was even mentioned. Of course, that only proves how illiterate some people are about their own, uh, what their own canon teaches. And I hope when he, we, when he hung up the phone that he went and he grabbed his Doctrine and Covenants and he read section 132 and he found those, section, those verses that talk about the ten virgins. And then I hope when he read them that he threw his Doctrine and Covenants in the fireplace, just like Emma threw the polygamy revelation into her fireplace. That's where it belongs. Let's read about the ten virgins in section 132, beginning with verse 61. And again, as pertaining to the law of the priesthood, if any man espouse a virgin and des desire to espouse another, and the first give her consent, and if he espouse the second, and they are virgins, and have vowed to no other man, then he is justified. He cannot commit adultery, for they are given unto him. For he cannot commit adultery with that, 
that belongeth unto him and to no one else. Verse 62, And if he have ten virgins given unto him by this law, he cannot commit adultery, for they belong to him, and they are given unto him. Therefore he is justified. Joseph Smith, he thought, was very cleverly justifying his own secret polygamist activities when he wrote this down. Taking ten virgins is polygamy. It isn't celestial marriage as you say it is today. We read in the Millennial Star, which is a Mormon publication, volume 5, page 15, where it says, We cannot be married for eternity without subscribing to a law that admits a plurality of wives. And so I ask you, is this true? It's a Mormon publication. Is it true? Was it true when it was, public, when it was published then, but maybe not true now? Does truth change? Truth doesn't change, and neither does God's requirements. And to better understand the early Mormon polygamist attitude, listen to what Brigham Young said. Quote, We shall pull the wool over the eyes of the American people and make them swallow Mormonism, polygamy, and all. End quote. The wool has successfully been pulled over the eyes of millions of people. Are you one of them? You know, this is only part of the drama of the changing activity of Mormonism. Every single one of your doctrines needs to be revisited. Every single one of them needs to be fully embraced or totally renounced by denying them, temporarily putting them aside or redefining their existence and their meaning as spiritual suicide. I wonder why you do it. You can't lose by questioning, but you will lose if you don't face the facts that your leaders have been whitewashing your religion. They've hidden or denied controversial doctrines, doctrines that Joseph Smith and early Mormonism have burdened you with, and they use Mormon speak, which is a language designed to twist your doctrine's original meaning. You lose if you don't investigate Mormonism and discover it for what it really is. And your loss will be an eternal loss, and the risk isn't worth it. You need to stop believing blindly. You need to look at the true history of Mormonism. Whether you're polygamist or Mormon, that need is urgent, and it is critical. And you need to listen instead to what God has to say about what you believe. I want to quote right now a rather long quotation from a book entitled The Women of Mormonism or The Story of Polygamy as Told by the Victims Themselves. It was edited by Jenny Anderson Froiseth, published in 1886, and I'm reading from page 93. Mormon polygamy is characterized by deceit and treachery. Men will break without the slightest compunction the most solemn vows that men can pledge to woman. They will take other wives clandestinely and then excuse their duplicity by saying they did it to avoid a row or a scandal, or they were afraid their wives would not consent to their taking more women. But when it was done, they could not help themselves and would be obliged to submit and accept the situation. I could myself mention 50 instances of the most meanest kind of treachery whose terrible results upon the innocent, trustful victims are seen in the insane asylum or the grave. 
Mormon polygamy is characterized by oppression and tyranny. The worst evils of Negro slavery had no parallel with some of the evils of this nefarious doctrine. A Mormon not only counts himself the possessor and master of his women bodily, but he is also the self-constituted owner of their souls. I have known cases where men have kept their wives in a constant state of anxiety and torment and rendered their lives more miserable than can be expressed by the simple intimation, if you won't be submissive, I will get a woman who will. It can easily be seen how this threat, hanging constantly over a woman's head, terrifies her until womanhood is gone and she contents to anything but the loss of her husband and the breaking up of her already none too peaceful home." End quote. Now we have many viewers who have read family journals and diaries of their polygamist ancestors and perhaps these diaries didn't reveal or don't reveal the mental and emotional torture that many polygamist women suffered. Or they may tell it, but you cannot believe that your beloved Joseph Smith could have been the author of such an ugly and painful practice as a mandate that in order to please God, a woman must share her husband with multiple women. But Mormon polygamy did come from Joseph Smith, and his 34 wives lived miserable life in polygamy, as did Brigham Young's 56 wives, all the while believing they were earning their right to go to heaven. But only Jesus Christ has earned the right for you to go to heaven. And for those women who are in polygamy right now, I have a question. Do you ever realize that polygamy would never continue if you women would stop cooperating and start complaining? And then don't stop there, but begin to study for yourselves exactly what it is that God does require. If that ever happened, polygamy would stop dead in its tracks and much misery would be avoided and your daughters would not have to grow up and marry into the same painful life as you. We have a book on what God thinks about polygamy. It's called, Is Polygamy Biblical? And you're welcome to call in and order this book. We'll give it to you absolutely free to anybody who calls in tonight and asks for it. If you're from a polygamy group or the Mormon church, call in and ask for it. We'll send it to you free, no strings attached. And I'm saying all this to lead into my next story. Today's polygamy groups practice polygamy as the early Mormons did. And you'll not find Mormon polygamy in the Bible at all. But Mormon polygamy was modeled by Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. I received an email a few weeks ago from someone who had finally gotten out of the Kingston polygamy group. I talked with her at length, both by email and by personal conversation. And she was going to be on the show tonight and tell her story. But as the day grew closer, the more nervous she became. And so she declined. Although we do urge people to speak up about their abuses, we will never coerce anyone to appear on our show. We do respect their choice and certainly have experienced their fear. However, we know that if we don't talk about abuses in polygamy, nothing will ever get fixed. People have to speak up in order for a change to take place. We also know that fear is so embedded into the hearts and minds of polygamous kids that they grow up with the fear of talking. 
So I asked this lady for permission to share some of the information that she had discussed with me. And she gave me permission as long as I did not reveal personal details and who she or her mother is, which of course I would never divulge a confidentiality. And so this is part of the story she told me. She says, I am an ex-member of the Kingston Polygamy Group. John Daniel Kingston is my biological father. Now we'll stop here. John King, Daniel Kingston has dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of kids. And so there's no way that he can pinpoint one daughter. He, I don't think he even knows how many kids he's got. Anyway, back to her story. Not even a full year after I was married to the man that they picked out for me, my husband became physically abusive. The abuse continued and grew to raping me most days, sometimes three or four times a day throwing me to the ground or against the wall, kicking me in the stomach, throwing me down the stairs, and so on. Eventually, I was able to get away from him. I also got away from the polygamy group, and I am now married to a great guy, so I'm not in the middle of it anymore. But I'm still close to my mother and some siblings, but some will not uh, associate with me because I left the group. I never thought that I would ever put up with anything like the abuse that I suffered. And now I realize that there must be so many other girls in the polygamy group who are going through the same things that I did or worse, and they are keeping it secret like I did. It's a different thing, but I have to let, or it's a difficult thing, but I have to let people know what was going on. I hope that by admitting being abused and raped will help others stand up for themselves and try to get help too. It is embarrassing and emotionally paralyzing, but it's even worse knowing the probability that so many other girls are going through the same things and afraid to tell anyone." End quote. You know, I want to say right here that this young woman is very sweet. She is a beautiful woman, and her attitude has risen far above the experiences that she has had. She has not let the evils that she suffered in that polygamy group turn her into a God-hater or a man-hater or an excuse for her to exhibit bad behavior, and I do commend this woman highly. And we ask that any polygamist woman or girl or boy, if you're being abused, to contact someone for help. You can call our toll-free number, which is 877-425-9993. Or you can call the abuse hotline, and that number is 800-897-5465. Call someone, but don't take your abuse any longer. Get some help. This abuse is not God's doing, and it is not His plan for your life. But right now we must ask a question. Why are abuses like this still allowed to exist in polygamy groups in America? Why is polygamous slavery still tolerated? This is not an isolated incident. It happens every day in every single polygamy group. Why can a show like Sister Wives pull the shroud over so many people's eyes that they can magically cause them to believe that polygamy is a romantic fairy tale and should be accepted by our society when abuses like this take place in polygamy. Why? 
Where are those who are voted into public office and who are paid from our pockets? Where are they to protect our citizens? Where are they? And why aren't they doing something about polygamy? Did you know that our state constitution states that it prohibits polygamy forever? What's wrong here? And you polygamists and you Mormons who defend Joseph Smith, you need God's truths because polygamy never did come from God. God is love and polygamy is not about love. I want to thank this lady, and I do thank you very much. You know who you are for letting us share your, your story on our show, and uh, we'll wait and see if we get some results from this. Right now, we're going to open up the telephone lines. Our number is 801-973-8820-973-TV20. And right now, we are going to share, again, the clip from the new DVD that uh, we are putting together entitled, God, the God Who Sees Me. I don't think I understood grace at all. I didn't ever understand grace. Honestly, I never knew what grace was. I, I don't remember hearing the word grace growing up. Grace was an unknown kind of vague thing out there that people threw around. And The only thing I knew about grace was it was a blessing you said before a meal or someone's name. And I didn't really understand what, what it really meant. It never really applied to my life growing up. And the way I understand grace now is God came to do for me what I just couldn't do. Grace is the difference between being a slave to everything I can't do and freedom. Just It's just everything. Grace is everything. After I'm saved and I find out that it doesn't matter who I am, that God's grace saves me if I will just trust Him for everything. And to think that God took what I deserve. He took my punishment. He gave me what I don't deserve. It's uh, mind-boggling, but He does. And it, uh, it just speaks to His love, His great love. So I found out in my reading that we're saved by grace, not by works. And it's those three words, not by works, <laughs> that threw me up on the ceiling. You had to peel me off. I couldn't believe it wasn't by works. It's just an amazing concept when everything is performance-based and you're always failing. You're always living with shame. You're always living with, with, I've got to do better. I've got to do better. Grace is the difference between 
being a miserable failure and being his daughter. When, when you're saved by grace, and grace is receiving what you don't deserve, and we know we don't deserve it, we know we're not worthy. But God does it anyway. I'll tell you, people, it's the greatest love story ever told, and, and I, just, I just weep with gratitude. Every single day, I thank God for my freedom. I thank God for the truth. I thank God that I have been given the keys that unlock the prison doors. Grace is who Jesus is. He is grace. And grace is something that gets me through all those things that I think I can't get through. There is power in knowing the truth. Know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And if God sets you free, you are free indeed. And I am free because Christ has set me free. Undeserved, undeserved favor, a free gift from God. Something He just gives me without, that I didn't deserve or earn or anything and He just gives me His grace. Welcome back to the show. Um, we have been talking about Solomon's polygamy in the Bible and uh, the uh, problems that developed from that and what God thought of that polygamy of Solomon's that led his heart away to worship other gods. And we uh, compared that with the modern day Joseph Smith polygamists and they also are believing in a God who isn't real. And we also shared the story of a, a young woman who escaped from the Kingston polygamy group and she told of how she was, was raped and beat and abused terribly until she was finally able to get out. And we um, would like to urge anybody who's in a polygamy group, and if you're going through any kind of abuse, whether it's emotional or sexual or physical abuse, give us a call tonight. Let's talk about it. You can use an alias. You don't have to use your real name. Disguise your voice however you want. But it's, don't be afraid to talk because it's very freeing to begin to talk about it. And we also can uh, get help for you. You need to cry out for help, and help is available. And uh, the phone lines are open. You can call 801-973-8820. When we get you on the line, please remember you've got to turn the TV volume all the way down or we will not be able to have a conversation with you. Okay, we have an off-the-air question. It says, what happens to all those people who have not heard about Jesus? You know, we get this question quite frequently. I don't know if it's the same person asking it or, um, or if it's different people asking that question. It's a valid question, certainly. You know, God has written the law on our hearts. Everybody knows instinctly, intrinsically, we know what's right or wrong. And we all know that we're sinners and we all know that we've sinned. And we all know that there is a higher holiness than what we are able to attain. And God has put in our heart and, and he has told us that the heavens declare the glory of God and, and the heavens declare his handiwork. We can all know that there's a God. We all know there's a supreme being and we all know 
that he is good and that we can turn to him somehow instinctively we know that because God has written that on our hearts I'm not the one to judge what happens to people who don't hear about Jesus but I do know that when you hear about Jesus and you don't respond and accept him it's eternal hell that's what Jesus said and so that my friends is something for you all to consider tonight. You need him. Your own works aren't going to do it. In fact, your own works are going to be discarded as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6 says. Off the air question, how can Mormons justify polygamy? We just talked about it. Just told you how they justify polygamy. Joseph Smith supposedly had the revelation, uh, which of course it was not because God doesn't contradict himself. God is love. Polygamy is not love. There is no way... In, in, in any sense of the term that God could have ever commanded polygamy, but the Mormons believe that Joseph Smith had that revelation, and one, the main reason that they say is to raise up a righteous seed. Well, there's absolutely no need for polygamy for people to have sex and have babies. They'll do it without polygamy, so you don't need that. That's ridiculous. And it's interesting, too, that um, the Book of Mormon condemns polygamy, so... I don't know how they justify it because it certainly isn't justifiable. Okay, we have uh, line one, Penny in Salt Lake City. Hello, Penny. 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 Hello. Hello. Uh, who is this? Penny. Penny. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, but you need to turn the volume on your TV down. We can't talk to you until you do. Oh, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Your volume on your TV is not turned down. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, I just I just had a question. Um, from well, there is two things between you know the LDS and the Mormon Church because I understand that there is not really a Mormon Church. There's not a Mormon uh, Church. Most people say that the Church is being called Mormon because of the Book Mormon. Now, why the LDS people do not uh, or do uh, polygamy anymore, I guess that's my question. Why don't they do polygamy anymore? Right. Because the United States government uh, threatened them with all kinds of economic disasters if they didn't. It was illegal. Polygamy is an illegal uh, practice. It was illegal every place the Mormons lived. It was illegal. And, um, and they, were, they were living, when they moved to Utah, they thought they were going to get away from those anti-polygamy laws, but they didn't get away from them. Um, and, and so they, they were building an entire empire here in Salt Lake City, and the federal government didn't like that. There were too many complaints, there was too much uh, uh, breaking the law of what they were doing, and so they threatened the Mormons that they've got to get rid of polygamy or they couldn't become a state of the Union. And so they were more or less forced to give it up. They didn't give it up voluntarily, I'm here to tell you. That you, you won't hear that. If you would like to make a call, please hang up. She didn't want to hear the answer, or I hope I gave her the answer. Anyway, uh, the Mormons did not give up polygamy voluntarily. You won't hear that from them, but that's exactly uh, the way it is. They wanted to keep it, and they continue to live polygamy uh, secretly, 
even after they claimed that they gave it up in 19 or 1890, they continued to live it until 1904 when they were finally hit up, up against the wall, backed into a corner, and they finally had to give it up. And that's when all of the, these little polygamy groups begin to uh, get started. Okay, we have uh, line two, Tony in Salt Lake City. Hello, Tony. Uh, no, no, this is Lee. It's who? Hello? If you don't turn your volume down, we can't talk. Hello? Hello? Yeah, yes, you're on the air. Are you there? Hello? You're on the air. Would you, what is your question? Oh, this, this is actually Lee. Okay, Lee, what is your question? Oh, um... What is your question? They, the question is... You need to turn oh, off your the, volume. The um, Book of Mormon was created by Joseph Smith, and my... It seems to be contrary to the Bible, and my question is, um, it's, it's interesting how they justify polygamy in that book, and my... I, it's, it's just interesting in that how... Do they justify in this age where they say now, oh, we don't believe in polygamy now? You know, uh, they say that now we don't believe in it, but yet we did then. Joseph Smith had how many wives? And now um, we don't believe in it. And I think that I've heard from various sources in um, the Mormon Church that ultimately the destiny is that polygamy will be reinstated um, in heaven and everybody will, you know, have multiple wives in heaven. And I don't know if that's true, but um, in a way it seems to contradict the Bible. And I'm really concerned in that why do they even need their own book? That's a good question. No, it just really concerns me. <laughs> That's a good question. Most of the main do uh, doctrines of Mormonism isn't even in the Book of Mormon. Uh, it's, it com they come out from different sources. Uh, polygamy is condemned in the Book of Mormon. That's true. Uh, now, as far as uh, uh, polygamy, they, the, the Mormons still do believe in polygamy. They just aren't practicing it right now. They've kind of right. put it aside. And I've heard many, many missionaries and different people read articles where they believe that it's going to be reinstated for the millennium oh. and that, that in heaven, that's the order of things up there is polygamy. And they're getting softer on it as time goes on. They get softer and softer. And now they're saying, well, you don't have to. You can if you want to, but you don't don't have to and and various things but the early mormon polygamists it they were they, they were dogmatic about it that's the way that the gods lived was polygamy mm. and and in fact the early mormons said we will never give up polygamy ever uh, you might as well ruin and tear down the Mormon churches for us to give up polygamy. So it's kind of an interesting uh, chameleon approach that's going on right now. Wow that answer your question? Well, yes, it does. And I just, I just, you know, I was born and raised Catholic, and I just, um, you know, I don't understand contradicting the Bible. I mean, the ultimate Jesus is in the Bible, and I just think, I mean, my opinion is that we don't need another book. 
We don't need another book. And the Bible it, it, over and over again warns people about making other books and adding or, or taking away from His Word. That's right. very dangerous. Right. And so uh, we don't need another book. And their doctrine does contradict the Bible. Every way, turn it, every way you turn it, their doctrine contradicts the Bible. Well, and I just want to thank you so much for standing up for the truth. The truth. I just want to thank you for standing up for the truth. You are amazing, and you should be absolutely proud of yourself because you truly are anointed. Well, thank you. Because you are professing the truth, and that takes courage. Well, I'm that just takes grateful. Ab- Absolute courage. Just grateful for the opportunity that so God is giving us. Thank you so much for what you're doing. God gives us the opportunity, and we are grateful that He is doing that, and that there's a lot of people involved with accomplishing what we're doing here on Thursday nights, and and the, well, the station TV20 certainly needs to be commended as well. Thank you for your call. Well, so much. thank you, and and God bless you. Thank you. He is. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Okay, there's other calls coming in, but it uh, doesn't look like they've quite hit the the uh, phone yet, so I thought I would share with you um, tonight two letters that I received uh, from Mary, two Marys that communicated with me. One Mary is a Mary from West Jordan, and she called on the show one night, oh, probably six or eight weeks ago, and she was pretty nasty with me, and then she emailed me or, or wrote me, I can't remember in which, and she was even worse in the letter. And then she wrote a letter of which I received, I believe it was last week or the week before. And in the letter that she wrote was an article uh, for the, she clipped from a newspaper that said something about Mormons are more focused on Jesus. And, and in that article she, that she sent me, she sent this letter that said, what do you think of this article? It is food for thought for you and all the idiots that think Mormons are not Christian. Mary from West Jordan. Well, you know, Mary from West Jordan, um, it's God who defines what is Christian, not us. Uh, the Bible is full of the definition of what it is to be a Christian and what Christianity is. And God has defined Christianity. And you know what? You just called God an idiot. I'm sorry. We got another email last week from another Mary. And look at the contrast of these two Marys. She said, Dear Doris and staff, congratulations on your 200th show, which we celebrated last week. She said, We appreciate you so much. God bless and strengthen you as you shine a light in the darkness. That is Mormonism. Love, Mary. And so I do appreciate the emails and the letters. And thank you, Mary, for your congratulations. Okay, line one is Bill from Salt Lake City. Hello, Bill. Bill. Yeah. Yes, if we're saved by the grace of God, does that mean we can go out and send all we want to? Uh, no, I don't believe that there's anywhere in the Bible that it could ever possibly mean that. Why would you say that? Because if we're saved by grace, does that mean we can go out and commit all the sins we want? I just answered your question, and I asked you, why would you ask that question? Why would you? Why it would just you doesn't make that? any sense. Are you LDS? Yes, I'm LDS. So when you get baptized at 80 years old, does that mean that after you're baptized you can go out and sin all you want? No, because I think we're saved by works. By our own works. But works doesn't and, keep you from sinning. And then sinning. we're forgiven of our sins. Works doesn't, doesn't uh, keep you from sinning. God's grace does, but works doesn't. That's not what I believe. 
Well, okay, you're welcome. How grace keep us from committing sins. Your grace, oh, grace keeps us from committing sins, believe me. God's grace is very powerful in our lives. How is that? Well, I guess you would just have to ask God to show you because in, unless you have God's grace working in your life, you would never be able to do it. Uh -huh. You know, His grace... And then so you commit sins, but you're you still know, forgiven? You know, Bill, on the, on the cross, Jesus said, Forgive them, God forgive them, for they know not what they do. doesn't answer my question. Bill, on the if cross... If you commit sin, then how are you forgiven? What? Grace? What? If you commit sins, then how are you forgiven? I'm just telling you, on the cross, Jesus said and asked God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Bible tells us the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It does not say that works cleanses us from sin. It doesn't. Well, does that mean that we can keep committing sin? And of course it doesn't, because God's grace will keep you from committing sin. Your call is over. Time is getting short. I have another call. Good night. Okay, line three, Jason from Orem. Hello, Jason. Jason. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, you're on the air. What's your call? Well, and uh, where did the 12 tribes of Israel come from? The 12 tribes of Israel came from the 12 sons of Israel, of Jacob. So now you're going to say, not, well, they wouldn't have come without polygamy, right? What? Did he not live a polygamous lifestyle? I'm sorry, you're going to have to speak up. I can't hear you. I said, did not Jacob live a polygamous wife, which resulted Jacob had, in Jacob had the four wives. of Israel? Yes, Jacob had four wives. But do you know what? The Bible teaches us that God can work even bad things together for the good of those who love him. And God could have created 12 tribes of Israel without polygamy. But Jacob, if you read the entire story, his life was miserable. God never commanded polygamy. God never commanded Jacob to have four wives. Jacob was hoodwinked into taking his his wives. He only wanted one, Rachel. Rachel was his love, his sweetheart, and he was hoodwinked into taking the other wives. Polygamy is not commanded by God, and just because the 12 tribes came from that does not mean it's okay to practice polygamy. Well, that, in your opinion... No, that's what the Bible teaches, sir. Oh, either, so. that, that's what the Bible teaches. ...or prove, maybe, just maybe, the Bible doesn't have all the truth. Isn't that something to consider? Is that the Bible has all the truth, sir. There's no truth outside of God. And God has filled uh, his Bible with his truth. Does the Bible say this is the only book? Isn't that true that these books were voted upon by the Catholic Church? This no. Order? No, you're... No? you're you're buying into anti-Christian uh, rhetoric because that's not true. And I would suggest you go back and look up the history yourself to discover the truth on that. That is just plain not true. I'm sorry, sir. I can't hear you. Your sound is so muffled. Read it in Christian books before that. How we got the Bible. Okay, sir, we, we need to shut, we need to, to uh, turn you, uh, your telephone off because we are ready to close the show down. Thank you.
kryptonite. And again, we have where people believe something they've been told. They don't go and check it out for themselves. Uh, God had all control of what went into the Bible. And you know, we know that it's spiritual blindness that keeps people bound to religions that are based on law and rituals and works of self-righteousness. And we know it's spiritual blindness because God has said it is. And God also, uh, also said that when anyone trusted Jesus Christ, that that veil of blindness will be removed. But anyone who clings to those works of righteousness, trying to mix law with grace, will remain blinded by Satan and will not be able to grasp spiritual truths. You know, I hear too many sad stories of people who are bound up in the works and rituals of the false doctrines of Mormonism and polygamy. And many of our viewers are people who are in or from polygamy and they can't grasp the idea that polygamy is not a God thing. If that describes you, just go to God with an honest heart and, and being ready and willing to accept His truth no matter what it is and God will reveal it to you. The Joseph Smith of Mormonism is the same Joseph Smith of the polygamy groups. Why are you following him? Why don't you toss him out? Yeah, toss out Joseph Smith. God says not to depend upon the arm of flesh. That includes Joseph Smith and any human prophet that you might think you have. Jesus Christ is the answer and he's the only answer. You don't need any prophet who did not die on the cross for your sins. And you don't need any priesthood who cannot take away your sins because Jesus' blood is the only thing that does. And you don't need any church that loads you down with works and guilt and fear. There is nothing else we need but Jesus Christ and His shed blood on the cross for our sins. And since you don't need anything else, toss them and turn to Jesus. For you uh, don't trust in the works of the flesh, but in Him. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.